morning. My name is Alden. I'm an alcoholic. I'm grateful to be here and sober. I was given the choice of which chapter after chapter two or three that I wanted to talk about, and I chose We Agnostics because uh, I thought that it characterizes especially my journey in sobriety in AA. I really probably don't have to say much of anything about faith tonight because we heard about it last night over and over again. The turning over of disbelief, the turning over of not believing any longer, of not seeing any way, and of just letting it go and coming into this program and beginning to get well. But I have some remarks in any event. Last week I read in the newspaper, I started reading in the newspaper about three crack dealers in New York City who had decided to go into treatment. And I found myself compelled to keep reading on about these people because somehow I was identifying with them very strongly. One was a man who lived with his mother and who from six to nine every evening drove around New York City stopping at telephone booths where he met doctors, psychologists, nurses, various lawyers, what have you, to, to give them their daily dose of crack. And in the early days of his doing this, it was very uh, lucrative, but as time went by, it became more and more dangerous. And finally, he saw so many of his uh, competition being killed violently in New York that he stopped and uh, went into treatment. The second was a, a mother of a young child who was on welfare and whose husband uh, was an unskilled man who couldn't make enough to, uh, between the two of them to keep the uh, family going. So with an investment of $500, she bought some cocaine, turned it into crack, and before long was able to make $1,000 every night, which, were for, which were for her, or really for anybody, was immense wealth. Uh, but as time went by, she began sampling her own product, she became addicted, and when she barely missed being arrested in a mass raid on one of the crack houses in New York, where some people were actually killed, she stopped. The last one was a young Haitian man whose uncle had made it big selling marijuana so that he had retired on a tax-free income with lots of real estate holdings around New York City. He was the uh, secret owner of a crack house in which he made thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every week. One day he was riding along uh, with his uh, colleague in this business on, the, on his motorcycle, speeding along down the avenue when suddenly he felt the motorcycle speed up enormously. Uh, he looked around, his friend was gone, lying in the street with a bullet in his head. He stopped that day as well and went into treatment. <coughs> I realized that I was identifying with this story, these stories so strongly because of the element of fear and the element of violence that was throughout them, because much of my drinking career was characterized by a fear, and especially a fear of doing violence uh, to myself. 
I was obsessed with jumping out the window, jumping off some high place. When I uh, took a trip on the Queen Mary, I was fearful I was going to jump off the fantail of the ship all the time. Of course, I was drunk all the time, too. I was obsessed with losing control of the car. I, I lived uh, near New York City and would uh, commute from uh, Danbury, Connecticut, to New York. I was obsessed that I might lose control of the car driving down the Merritt Parkway and drive into one of the bridges. And at the end of my drinking, I would awake at night being afraid that I might go downstairs and load a gun that I had down there and uh, shoot myself. So there was so much violence. The theme of agnosticism is important because it played such a big role in my getting sober in this program. When I came to this uh, IDA meeting you know, at O'Hare Airport some years ago, I introduced myself as a normally suicidal psychiatrist. <laughs> and uh, that just about characterized the way I felt about myself at that point. But that same, at that same meeting, I met many other doctors who talked about their suicidal uh, fears. And I saw that they were getting well, and I learned that uh, I was not alone. At the outset, I'd like to say that what took care of my not believing in God was experiencing the program itself of, of uh, immersing myself in the fellowship, not only here at this meeting, but at home and in taking a, a large part in it in every day of my life. By that I mean that I began to live uh, within the fellowship. And what I found out that was healing about the program was that I was propelled along by the love that was offered to me by everybody who met me. God's grace, God's love came into my life. Somehow, as part of that process, my disbelief was uh, supplanted by faith, which is really the opposite of the agnostic position. And I very rapidly um, became addicted, if you will, to AA, where before I worshipped the bottle, and that was the very most important part of my life, I found there was a gradual transition and a shifting over to uh, being in this fellowship, to finding acceptance, to finding love, and uh, to find and, and finding the steps, of course. The process is short-term and long-term. There was an immediate change in my life. It was sort of a uh, flashy. Uh, loss of the depression that had overwhelmed me. And the, suddenly I found myself on a uh, pink cloud and able to uh, go through the day without thinking about suicide at all. In fact, it was really a miraculous salvation experience that occurred to me. But I found that over the long term there were other problems to be worked through and uh, steps to be taken over and over again as the years went by. Because I found that after I had been in the program for four or five years, uh, I had to address 
the problems of control, the problems of self-destruction, the problems of where I was going with the rest of my life all over again. And in fact, the solution to the problem came in a really listening for what God was saying to me and answering uh, the call of God. Perhaps it would be worthwhile to just to retrace the steps of my, uh, of my drinking career a little bit. Um, I come from a family where alcoholism is a family disease. I have a brother who's recovered from alcoholism as well as me. Uh, two other siblings who did not have alcoholism, parents who were not alcoholics, but grandparents and an uncle, especially on my father's side, who was alcoholic. I was a very religious child and grew up in a fundamentalist New England congregational church. Uh, and and uh, when I went to medical school in New York City, uh, joined the Riverside Church where I was active and busy until uh, the end of uh, medical school when alcoholism really began to overtake my life. I was clearly in trouble with alcohol from my first drink when I was about 17 years old, for in a few months I'd had blackout. And I need to tell you uh, how the gradual progression goes as the years went by. There was a gradual leeching away of the feelings I had for understanding what God did in my life, for having some feeling of the meaning of prayer in my life. And furthermore, as the spiritual part eroded away, um, I was becoming uh, depressed and constantly anxious and fearful. This was helped a great deal by alcohol. And I, uh, I see myself as uh, somebody who had a great deal of denial. I really didn't begin to uh, admit to myself that I was alcoholic, actually, until the day that I stopped drinking altogether. There were flashes of times when I wished I didn't have to drink. But for the most part, here I was, consuming on weekends up to a fifth of alcohol a day um, uh, and uh, trying to uh, practice psychiatry uh, during the week and uh, trying to avoid the uh, depression and the obsessions uh, for killing myself that went along with it. Uh, for instance, I had an office in, in New York City with a colleague on Clark Avenue, and I would sit in my office talking to you as a patient, I'm a psychiatrist, and I would be listening to you quite clearly and hearing what you were saying. Yet at the same time, there was a tape playing in my head that saw me get up out of my chair, walk across the room, open the window, jump out the window, splat on the pavement below, <laughs> a scream of sirens, a great deal of, of uh, anguish on everybody's part. Now, I've said this many times, it's true. It was very hard to practice psychiatry under those circumstances. <laughs> the big book speaks a lot about um, flirting with religion and seeking God out in some odd kind of ways uh, when we are alcoholics. 
It took a, it took a curiously bizarre form in, in my life. Uh, I was raised, as, as I say, raised as a Congregationalist, but as time went by, I became very interested in thinking about the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Catholic Church. And I began to assume this identity to myself, which I knew wasn't real, but at some level it was rather true. People called me Pope Pompous. And <laughs> I had, at times when I was drunk, I had vestments, and uh, we had ceremonies. This is a really crazy household I lived in. Um, I'm not married. I don't think a woman probably would put up with that. Uh, but I remember having, we would have blessings of gardens. We never sprinkled the garden with water, but with gin, or with whatever punch it was that we were having. In any event, of course, the point was, I was laughing at God. And at some level, I was reflecting the abandonment uh, by me of God in my life. My denial was practically total. And um, I was beginning to have to use amphetamine in, all, in order to get to work on Monday morning. Uh, I began experimenting with pot from time to time, which made me very paranoid and very hostile. Uh, and uh, I was stressing my cardiovascular system with uh, 30 to 60 cigarettes a day, and often on weekends going through uh, around the table after dinner a whole box of poppers, otherwise known as amyl nitrate. In spite of all the attempts on my part to uh, keep life exciting and life interesting, there was an immense boredom in my life. It filled my outlook. I felt like a phony from top to bottom, and I expected to be dead uh, by the age of 40. I was really what the big book talks about, a case of self-will run riot. Finally, I thought I would do a geographic cure, although I didn't label it that as such. I gave up my practice in New York, and moved with a colleague, friend of mine, to Norwalk, Connecticut, where I was asked to help him out in a general hospital in the Department of Psychiatry. Like so many of you, I chose to become involved in the addiction section of the hospital. This program was started about 20 years ago by volunteers from AA who were the basis and the workers in the program. The doctors really were peripheral because they didn't understand alcoholism at all. Of course, I thought alcoholism uh, to be a symptom of psychiatric illness. And I was forever asking the patients, you know, why do you drink so much? I can't understand it, you know. Uh, and finally, one of the volunteers said to me, uh, Dr. Whitney, I can't really work with you if you're going to continue asking the patients why they drink so much. They drink so much uh, because they have a disease. They had this little black book that they invited the patients to read. It was called 24 Hours a Day, which was full of religious claptrap. They uh, <laughs> terrible things which nobody could possibly believe. I, of course, read none of the other literature uh, whatsoever, but I did thumb through the book and realized after just running my thumb through it that it wasn't worth looking at at all. Well, 
My suicidal urges had become very strong. I had watched the AA volunteers work for about seven or eight months. When suddenly, on a Sunday in May, uh, I had an intense spiritual awakening. The night before, I had thrown all my friends out of my house where I had given a dinner party, thinking that in some way it was a liberating experience that let me say, now I'm free, I really don't need anybody at all. I don't need anyone in my life, I'm totally self-sufficient. And I went to bed, passed out, in fact, expecting to wake up um, late the next morning. Of course, I woke up in a few hours, shaking, um, empty inside, and uh, in a panic, uh, fearing that um, this was the end. Actually, what happened was, I went downstairs that morning, and as in the comic books, a light flashed on in my mind and said, Alden, you are an alcoholic. The first time I'd ever dared say that to myself. And if you can just somehow stop drinking, perhaps things will get better. That day I began detoxifying myself with some Librium. I went to the hospital the next morning, and when nobody was looking, went to the drawer where the AA people kept the literature. And I thumbed through the door, quickly stuffed some in my pocket, went to my office, closed the door, locked it, drew the shades. and looked at that little card that you were talking about before, and I read the steps for the first time in my life. My heart sank, uh, because there was the word God right away, power greater than myself, God as I understand him. But it reminded me of how my father had tried to teach me to eat oysters. You know, how was I ever going to swallow uh, all this stuff, uh, but determined I was, because like everybody else, I was in desperate straits. It was a matter of either living or of dying at that point. So I took the talisman approach as well, and I underlined in red all the uh, parts that referred to God and matters spiritual, and decided to put them out of my mind and stuffed the card in my pocket, which I carried around. And uh, along with eating a lot of celery, that's what, 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 what helped keep me uh, sober for the first 10 days until I dared to go to an AA meeting. Um, one other miraculous thing happened that first day of sobriety. My only cousin uh, turned up. She has the family disease as well. We have never, uh, we, we never see each other. She was in the neighborhood, far from her home, 150 miles with her husband. And she asked for a drink. I gave her a drink and she did my drinking that day. I saw her about three years ago and I said, Sybil, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you since May the 20th, 1974, or whatever it was. <laughs> and, and, uh, of course, he looked at me as if I was crazy.
Finally, after 10 days, I went to my first AA meeting, which was a great faith experience for me. Because when I arrived there, um, they, they had made a curious mistake and somehow thought I was the speaker from Bridgeport. <laughs> when I looked, when I began to sweat and shake and was about to uh, collapse, even though I hadn't had a drink for 10 days and was off Librium by then, um, they said, oh, please sit down right here. They reached out their hands and they said, welcome. They didn't ask who I was. They didn't want to know anything about me. They just said, listen to the speaker. And I heard the speaker talk. He went on and on uh, for about 45 minutes of war stories. He had been a member of the armed services. He talked about his experiences in overseas. Uh, and um, of course, I had never been in the service. I'd made sure I wouldn't get in the service. Uh, and I uh, thought, there's nothing here that I can grab hold of. Practically the last line of his drunkologue was, and when I ate peas, they fell off the fork. And I said, by God, I can identify with that. <laughs> I went home that night with a copy of the 12 and 12 under my arm, and I sat up most of the night reading the book. Uh, that first AA meeting, the experience was wonderful. I shall never forget it. Sitting up reading the book that night, finding and beginning to have to admit to myself that indeed, as far as I was concerned, I knew in my heart that the higher power was God, the God that I had known as a child and the God that I didn't understand now at all. But there be, but, uh, there began to be hope in my life. I went to some more meetings, and I got the big book, and flipping through the table of contents, I went directly to the chapter on the agnostics, because I thought, well, this chapter has been written for me. And I read the book and find out, found out that it was indeed, as far as I was concerned, a symptom of alcoholism, and that therefore I could relax and let it go and begin to let the program work in my life. The fact of, of what had happened was that, of course, my perspective had just shifted ever so slightly so that what looked in before was out or what looked slightly red was shifting in hue. And I was so ready because of my desperation to live at that point and the hope that I had gotten from the program uh, that I was able to accept that and to move on to the, uh, to the uh, next day. During those first uh, few years in the program, and especially during the first few months, I had a palpable, conscious uh, experience of the presence of God at AA meetings. I mean, if it had been a dove flitting over the table, it couldn't have been any clearer to me. Um, I was distant and shy, uh, but after a while, I dared to request somebody to be my sponsor, and I uh, thought I was uh, beginning to uh, find, find some acceptance. The religious, and I call it that because for me that's what it was, the religious conversion that went on in those early days of uh, AA, let me, said, let me say, Lord, I believe, uh, help my unbelief, 
And it let me say, Lord, just for today, let me do my program and not plan uh, the whole rest of my life. Bill W. said in the third chapter, uh, in the chapter to the agnostic, that he stated that it was a lack of power which was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. That power for me, in the beginning especially, I found in the fellowship because there I found a real love from people whom I didn't know except shared with them the disease of alcoholism. I was able to uh, take uh, two of my sponsors to the coffee shop and tell them my X-rated story and uh, found out that they accepted me. In fact, they stood up and said, well, it sounds like a routine drunk story to us. And, uh, <laughs> and being thus deflated, I was able uh, to move on from there. I began to accept myself, and I began uh, to uh, heal. The theme of violence in my life started to be drained away. And there was an ability uh, to begin to forgive others that came into my life. I think my faith at that point was very magical um, and required a, a lot of um, bending of facts on my part to be able to accept everything that I saw going on in a religious light. Uh, but it served me uh, for the time. I started to go back to the church, and I decided when I went to the National Council on Alcoholism uh, Forum in Denver, I think that was 1975, uh, when I was sitting in the Episcopal Cathedral there, that I was being called in some way to get back to, the, uh, to, get back to church. I'd been raised as a Congregationalist but it, it felt comfortable there, and that's where I thought I would go. So I went to religious classes. I was um, confirmed by the bishop, and I uh, became an active member of the church in addition to being busy uh, within, um, within the AA program where I made coffee, and I did everything that all of us do uh, who, are, um, you know, who are propelled by God's grace to get well one day at a time. I was on a pin cloud for three or four years, and after about the fifth year, um, fourth or fifth year, the old boredom began to start coming back again. We started the Southern New England professional group, several of us together, and uh, reaching out to doctors in the New England area. I was still involved with the program. And yet there was something going on inside of me, something that was disquieting, something that was uncomfortable. The old obsessions were beginning to come back, even though I thought I had been uh, faithful to the program. Somebody said to me, uh, and it said to me over and over again, has it ever occurred to you uh, to be in psychotherapy? Have you ever gone into treatment? And I answered to them with some impatience, no, it would never occur to me to go into treatment, into psychotherapeutic treatment. Uh, that was back then. I know better now uh, what I would do, but I was healed 
uh, in another way as time went by. As I said, the, the, uh, the fourth year of my sobriety in the program was very uh, tumultuous for me because the old self-destructive thoughts returned. Um, I was obsessed in the car about killing myself. I had not had a drink. I had not had a pill. I had stopped smoking. Um, yet, and I was talking with my sponsor, yet there was still um, some secret part of me uh, that was brewing something going on inside. That would go on for a long time, and it would be a long time before I would be able to tell friends just how I felt about how things were going. It was about that time that I began reading theology. I began to um, think about uh, becoming a priest. Uh, I felt as if being very involved in the church the way I was in my own parish, that there was some call for me that I uh, should uh, seek holy orders. One day as I was driving to uh, an IDAA meeting in Sturbridge where we held them every other month, I came to the decision that if I were going to live, if I were going to continue, uh, it would be important for me to make up my mind to commit myself altogether to God as I understand him and uh, to go to seminary, and in that I did. Subsequently, I uh, decided that day to go to Yale Divinity School. Through the very generous help of a friend of mine, I received the uh, support, the financial support, to be able to give up my job for two years and to be able to study at Berkeley Divinity School at Yale. I continued my program and found that indeed the program and the steps of AA were more a part of me, uh, in a way, uh, than the gospel. And that somehow I was learning to interleave these two uh, together so that I would be able to uh, really uh, carry out the program as I thought I should. In in doing, in what happened to me in my second really religious conversion or the coming again, it was really a taking of the third step over again. It's a long time ago now, and my healing has continued so that uh, the depression and the controlling and the self-destructive attitudes I have seem to be gone. I've learned to share. I've learned to give away the gospel in my work in the church. Uh, I've learned to bring that to the hospital uh, where I work. Some of us, you know, need more structure than others. <laughs> and uh, I keep telling the patients where I work, I have been a patient here for 15 years, where I work every day and where I join in the meetings with you where I'm freely willing to share my story as it is appropriate, where I can uh, offer my uh, spiritual uh, support to you in all the ways that I've learned uh, in AA uh, and uh, in the church. Every day I believe that I have been uh, restored uh, to health, having taken the second step 
that I am now, uh, for today, sane once again, uh, that I've turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, and I make an effort consciously to do that every day in my uh, prayer and in my being available and being trying to be responsible to help others who reach out for help. Um, as I said in the beginning, I'm grateful to be here and sober. And I thank you all for listening this morning. <laughs>